All right. Well, welcome back to the Hunts Back Country podcast. This is a Monday Minute episode where Steve and I answer your listener questions and just have kind of an informal conversation about things going on as well. Steve, how you doing, man? Good. Yeah. Good. Uh, good weekend hanging out with the family and got uh, the death hiker out this year finalized the other day, which was fun to send out to everybody and um, created a little bit of a stir. <laughs> yeah. I certainly made it um, tough. Let's say that. Yeah. With, um, I, I, you know, the death hike is one of those things when, and I know you've wrestled with this, Steve, like, what can you keep doing? How do you keep it fresh, new, exciting, challenging, et cetera? Uh, I think all that is definitely the case this year. I feel like we're headed into more unknown and a bigger challenge that this whole idea of we've talked about on the podcast before, like true adventure is only adventure when there's a great chance of failure. And I feel like that's where things are at. Most likely outcome is failure. Yeah. Uh, that's certainly how I built the route. You know, I, I, I you know, uh, I want it to be the hardest hike we've ever done. And also, you know, shoot for if everything goes absolutely perfect, we, you know, only six, maybe seven out of the 10 guys finish. Right. Uh, but the cool thing about the route this year is there's so many options and routes and, and it, we're basically doing a big circle. And there's a lot of ways to, uh, if, you know, get behind schedule to cut the route and make it shorter, somebody gets injured. There's, you know, uh, granted it's like 15 miles, but you can hit a trail and get back to a place. Um, so yeah, it's, it, it lays out well to, to make it this challenging and also just keep some form of, um, safety and, and perspective. Hmm. You said six or seven out of 10, but there's gonna be like 20 plus guys. Is that what you meant? Six yeah, or seven yeah. total. Yeah, I was just saying, like, yeah, yeah, six or seven out of ten. Um, yeah, we're 22, 23 guys this year. Okay, so, gotcha. Yeah, I meant, meant a sixty to seventy percent success rate or thirty percent failure. Got it. Cool. Oh yeah, more to come on that. Um, <laughs> I'm already getting like calls and texts from guys with questions and like, is Steve serious? <laughs> so, yeah, it'll be cool. Certainly, um, uh, somewhere along the lines, I got in my head, like, let's climb Everest. How many feet of elevation is Everest? Uh, and I think it was like 24,000 or something like that. So the route is sitting around around 28,000 feet of climbing that doing two days. So that's going to be, that's going to be something. Yeah. All right. Uh, before we dive into listener questions, I wanted to throw something out there actually for listeners is. Steve, we were chatting last week um, on our bear hunt about podcasts and new series and new guests and things like that. And one of the ideas that we had was we've done listener stories, which are great. I enjoy them and we always get a lot of feedback uh, from them that listeners enjoy them. I wanted to expand that and do like a before and after um, series with listeners. And so the idea would be to talk with someone this summer before hunt that they have this fall um, talk about their plans, what they're looking to do, maybe answer some of the questions that they would have for us and just really talk pre-hunt stuff and then get that same person back on after their hunts uh, later in the year to then talk about how everything went, lessons learned, et cetera. So I already have um, several folks that I've reached out to just because I, I knew what some of their hunts were and thought that would be uh, great episodes to do. But I would still love to hear uh, from a few more listeners and consider getting some of you guys on the show to do exactly what we just discussed, which would be 
chat with you this summer um, about hunts that you have and then follow up after that hunt in the fall or in the winter. So if you hear that and you have any interest, uh, just shoot us an email. So that would be to podcast at exomountaingear.com. Um, and then just let us know in that email the specific hunt or hunts that you are planning for this fall, why you think uh, it would be helpful. Again, these are listener stories, so it doesn't have to be like, you know, don't send me a resume of how awesome you are. <laughs> it could be like your very first hunt, for example, or maybe you're going on an archery elk hunt for the fifth year and you have yet to still fill a tag, but you're trying new techniques or something like that. So just kind of let us know um, what you're up to and yeah, send that email and we'll uh, take a look at those and pick a couple more to do. But I think this series is going to be a lot of fun for sure. Yeah. I like the idea of the, uh, as we discussed, just the, like the precursor, you know, get what people are thinking and then get the after, like what actually happened. Uh, Certainly a lot of lessons to be learned there. Yeah. Cool. All right. So to kick things off with a listener question, um, this first one is an EXO related pack question, and it is about material choice. Here's this question. Why Cordura for the pack bag fabric, as opposed to something that's waterproof? All right, Steve, short and sweet. Why Cordura? Why not something that is waterproof for the packs? Um, ideally both, right? Or, or, <laughs> I mean, I guess not ideally both. Ideally, I could have a super durable, relatively quiet and completely waterproof fabric. Uh, it pretty much doesn't exist. Uh, the closest things you're going to find, like X-Pack is very commonly used. We used it back in 2014 in the first year, um, kind of had some durability issues with it. So went away from it. We were using like kind of a lighter um, version of it. I think it was called like their VX 21. Uh, I can't, it's been a while. Um, and, but, but that was also a, a little bit more noisy fabric, uh, unfortunately. So it's just, yeah, if that perfect fabric existed, trust me, I'm constantly looking, um, but the, you know, if I just used a truly waterproof fabric, they tend to be, they're going to, even if they're not noisy, um, up front, they're going to be very noisy when it's like 10 degrees outside, they get really crinkly. Um, and then I've actually been doing a lot of, um, testing for future designs and waterproof fabric or not. The biggest weakness is the seams. It's, uh, that is where the water comes through, um, and it, it kind of completely mutes the fact that if the fabric would be waterproof or not, it, the, the water comes through at the seams pretty quick. Um, and then the fabric when, you know, even 500 D holds up very well for quite a while. It doesn't saturate for, you know, it takes a few hours of a really heavy rain. And by then the, so much water had gone through all the seams in the pack that's pointless. And then to build a pack with a completely different seam construction, um, Man, it's not something that uh, USO shops that that we work with um, have the cap- capacity to do. It's just a completely different thing. Um, so always working for it, always working to improve how waterproof the packs are. Right now, our, our um, dry bag liner is a very simple, lightweight solution that just gives you like 100% waterproof protection where you can straight, you know, fall in the lake, uh, you know, have the river take your feet out from any, underneath you, go for a swim for 100 yards. You're going to come out the other side of the river and everything's still dry. To me, um, it's a pretty simple solution to guarantee things stay dry when you're in those situations. 
the other thing I think just is is important to keep in mind is people throw around the term waterproof without understanding the true meaning of that. And so I would just say that there's a lot of things out there that are water resistant, uh, as is the Cordura that we use. Um, and we, you know, you just got to be careful when you say true waterproof, because that, that yeah. means something completely different than water resistant. And as you said, Steve, there's not a waterproof solution that makes a lot of compromises in other areas at this point, but hopefully, hopefully that changes and we would be eager to see that uh, advance in the future. Literally always looking, always looking. And Cordura is more, uh, it's not like Cordura is like a pair of jeans, right? Like you could put it over a bucket and uh, stretch the, the fabric over the top of the bucket and fill it up with, put a puddle of water on top of that fabric and it would sit there for hours. Uh, the DWR and then the polyurethane coating on the inside are going to keep the water out. It, it will saturate at some point. Um, but it's not like it's just this instant water flowing through it. They they do very, very well holding up against water. Yep. Cool. All right, Steve. So on this episode, we just did our, our last podcast last week where we told our um, story of our bear hunts. And so we had quite a few follow-ups to that. So I thought for the rest of the listener questions on this episode, we'll tackle a few of those. This first one was uh, this guy basically had two questions in his message, both about ticks and shop placement. Hey guys, um, sounds like you had an awesome bear hunt. Um, I just had a couple of questions. One about ticks. Um, you always hear about ticks on spring bear hunts and you guys didn't even mention it. So I was just curious if you happen to be in a tick free zone or how you dealt with that. Um, and second, I was just curious about the shot placement of the bears. Um, yeah, I've heard and seen a lot of different information about shot placement on bears between, you know, going front of the armpit to sort of mid mid or you know just depending on what position the bear is in so i was just curious about your guys shot placement on both of those bears that sound like it was pretty effective um whatever you did so thanks appreciate uh, any information you can share that'd be great thanks bye all right steve so your um your fondness of ticks is well known if people have listened to the podcast how were ticks <laughs> on this hunt um they were not it was so cold and it snowed, you know, prior to the trip. I think the snow just burned off before we got there that, uh, there wasn't that many out for you and I just hiking. I think only pulled three off of, um, one off me, not didn't bite into me, crawling on me two off my pack. And then when did you have that tick? Was it somehow we got to the truck at the very end of the hunt oh, that's after right. the pack out and, I think it was like, I dropped my pack, done everything. I think I maybe even had changed clothes, Yeah. Um, but it was shortly within getting to the truck, but we had, you know, dropped gear and all that. And I think I did change, but anyway, we were standing there getting ready to eat a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. And of the whole time, it was the only tick I saw on me or my gear was at the truck somehow crawling on my arm. So yeah, felt pretty fortunate. The bears on the <laughs> other hand, Steve, they definitely the bears had were disgusting. <laughs> um, I brought for that, that specific reason I made sure I brought like a really big, um, at some point I had bought like a moose quarter bag. Um, and, uh, so I just made sure I brought this really big bag that I could throw the entire hide and head, you know, obviously it's all attached, but sometimes you'll see guys with the, the hide, like kind of in the load shelf of the pack and then the head sitting up on top of it, like separate. And I was like, yeah, nope, I don't, that picture is nice and pretty, but, uh, no thanks. Like I want, I want the, all the ticks contained inside the bag. So, uh, made sure I put the whole thing inside the bag, cinched up the top nice and tight, and then 
but pretty much kept the ticks out because then we went to check them at the fishing game, you know, the day after we got home and opened up that bag, there was just 50 ticks just crawling around everywhere. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, uh, yeah, we got lucky, not a lot on us, but the bears had, had plenty to go around. That's for sure. Yep. Yeah. So we were fortunate. I did treat my stuff with permethrin before the hunt. Um, but yeah, I did, Maybe that helped a little bit, but I think, as you said, Steve, the big, the biggest yeah. factor there was weather for sure. Yeah. I didn't treat with permethrin, but I did buy, um, some tick spray. I can't remember what, I don't know if it was Sawyer branded or, um, might've just been like off. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I never put it, never sprayed it on anything. Cause it was like, well, get there. If the ticks are bad, then I'll spray it on. If it's not, then I don't want to have to deal with the, you know, the scent sprayed all over my clothing. Yeah. Got it. So the second part of that question uh, was on shot placement. Um, so for my shots, uh, basically, you know, I'm, I'm not the bear expert by any means. I, in talking with folks, including on this podcast, we ch- chat about this actually with um, with Douglas Bowes uh, several episodes ago, but this spring we did a podcast with him. Um, and he basically talked about, you know, kind of starting at the middle of the middle, which you'll hear guys talk about on a bear. Uh, but then go ahead and move that forward towards the shoulder. I think he said about maybe three to four inches. Um, and so that's kind of similar to how I thought about it. Um, and I was, I would say fortunate in the sense that my bear was quartering away a little bit. Um, and I just always, whether it's bears or any other animals, I love that shot presentation. Um, and so, yeah, I kind of went, you know, middle of the middle and with him quartering, um, really that almost lined up with his offside shoulder. And so it really was just kind of the best of both worlds. Um, I felt like, and, uh, yeah, worked out incredibly well. Um, and then Steve, for your shot, obviously that bear just dropped in his tracks. What did that look like for you? I think you would have been looking at an uphill angle, right? Like you were below yeah, the bear. I had, I had uphill quartering away. Um, so it was just that absolutely perfect shot angle to, to shoot, but in general, yeah, it, they just say middle to middle, not because the anatomy is a whole lot different, but basically, at least my understanding, um, you got four or five inches of hair hanging down from the belly. And so if you do the typical lower third, like I would do on an elk or a deer, you're like, you're probably putting the crosshairs, you know, two inches up from the, the brisket. Like you're not actually shooting lower third. It's very deceiving on a bear. Um, so I just aim just straight up mid body, which puts it um, you know, cause the hair on top isn't standing as high as the hair on their bellies hanging down low. So it puts you in the lower, um, lower half of the body cavity, but, uh, you know, it's just a good place to aim. So, and then, um, yeah, that, the, everything does seem a little bit farther forward on, on a bear, but honestly, I'm just, yeah, putting it, putting it there where I instinctually want to, other than, uh, right in the middle and squeezing the trigger. Let's jump into, we had a question actually, um, about this is actually a question that came up before the bear hunt, but I thought it was relevant because you used your creed more. Uh, and then I have another resource to share, but this question came through about six, five creed more versus six, five PRC. Okay. Super quick and dirty, same rifle, 20 inch barrel, choosing the chambering six, five creed more versus the six, five PRC. What do you go with? All right. I like it. Nice and simple question. Um, I think this gets overhyped a little bit um, when guys talk about Creedmoor versus PRC, uh, just because 
yes, PRC, especially in the last handful of years, is like the hot thing. Um, and then Creedmoor is, you know, we joked about it because this hunt was just after Mother's Day. But I told you about this meme I saw Steve and thought of you. And it was like, to all the guys shooting the 6.5 Creedmoor, happy Mother's Day. <laughs> so there's so many memes out there about Creedmoor. At the end of the day, most guys are shooting uh, really the same actual bullet for the most part. You can get away with obviously a little bit higher of a bullet weight in a PRC and keep some speed. But it's just really keeping in mind that it's really extra velocity is the difference. And then for some guys that may or may not uh, play into effect, given their shot distances and the game that they're looking to, to hunt with. So um, there's differences to be sure. I don't want to minimize that. And I actually had written an article, uh, I think last year about um, why I chose a Creedmoor over a PRC. And by saying that, I'm not saying a Creedmoor is better than a PRC. Um, but I think there's some valid reasons to why you may consider a Creedmoor over a PRC. Um, so I'll leave a link to that in the show description, but Steve, um, one happy mother's day Two, congratulations on shooting that bear with your Creedmoor, which I didn't think the bullet bounced off from what I gathered. <laughs> yeah. well, I think I made that joke. Like if that bullet had been one grain lighter that it would have just bounced right off that bear and walked away. <laughs> um, no, yeah. I mean. Uh, they're basically the same gun, right? You're just pushing the same bullet at 300 feet per second faster, uh, maybe a little bit more than that. I had on the PRC I had, I was shooting the 143 LDX at like 3149. They were, it's pretty hot load. It was cruising that same load out of that, you know, Creedmoor is going to be, I was with a 22 inch barrel. Um, you know, you're going to be like 2800 or something like that. So, uh, certainly you type those numbers into a ballistic calculator, um, the ballistic app on my phone and the PRC just, you know, it's impressive. The, you know, the lack of drop and more importantly, um, you know, I think it's at 500 yards with a 10 mile an hour crosswind. I, I want to say there's like a four or five inch difference there, which is pretty substantial, man. Like that's, uh, could be the difference between killing an animal or not for me with my jacked up separated broken collarbone shoulder. I just didn't shoot. I had a, I had a Creedmoor and I had a PRC and I just did not shoot the PRC as accurate. Um, I'm very recoil sensitive. It just like feels like somebody took a hammer to my bone every time I shoot. And, uh, so I went back to the Creedmoor after building that PRC and, uh, I shoot it absolutely lights out and everything I've ever pointed at it dies, uh, for the shot being, I guess my sheep last year, 530 yards, but, um, it just works. So I don't know what, uh, what else to say. I think, uh, everything gets overhyped substantially. Yeah. And keep in mind too, that there can, there can be downsides to that speed for even depending on what bullet you're choosing. And then right. if you have a closer shot distance that there's such a thing as volt higher velocities being a negative in certain scenarios. Um, and so if that idea is new to you, um, maybe look into that a bit, consider it again, I'm not saying anything bad. I've just want guys to think, get out of the tunnel vision of like faster is always better all the time period always better bigger magnum have to type thing um so anyway food for thought yeah I, i'm friends with a bullet designer and when i was debating what bullet to shoot out of the prc um i mentioned this one and and uh it basically was like well i didn't i designed that with creedmoor velocities in mind not prc like it's like that's fine, but I wouldn't shoot an elk at a hundred yards with it. Like it's getting, the bull is just going to explode. Um, so certainly that's something to consider. Yeah. 
All right, guys. So yeah, on that topic, again, the, the, you can go check out the article uh, that I wrote. I went into uh, several points we didn't discuss in our answering this question that will be in the article if you guys want to check that out. All right. Finally, on our bear hunt, Steve uh, question came through about optic setups, and this was not an audio question. It was an email. So I'll go ahead and read it. Uh, but this guy wrote in and said, what kind of binos and spotter did you run on your bear hunt? Do you like higher powered binos like 12s? Do you run a light 65 millimeter spotter or something bigger? And then he says, I've been saving up to step into the alpha class of optics and I'm having a hard time deciding on what to go with. I'm looking for a versatile setup as I hunt in so many different environments. Any advice would be much appreciated. I would also love to hear more about the XLR chassis. Have you found any downsides to them yet? Um, just to dive into optics and what we use first, and then we can chat about some recommendations. I was running um, Swarovski ELs, the eight and a half by 42s, and then had an ATS 65 millimeter spotter. Uh, how about you, Steve? Uh, running the Swarovski EL range TAs, eight by 42s, and um, you had the spotter, but we were I wanted to load up the pack kind of heavy to see how it felt, so I threw in an ATX uh, 25 to 60 by 65. Hmm. And, uh, interestingly enough, we did those two <laughs> scopes side by side at our house come up. Uh, and that ATS resolved better at a thousand yards. I'd still like, I need to go replicate that with a different scope, but that's either that was a great ATS or this, the ATX was a bad one. I doesn't make any sense to me. I did a lot of scope testing 10 it years ago. It shouldn't be better, but it was. Yeah. And I did not see that, but it, certainly was better you know we were reading texts on a, a little sign hanging on a power line at a uh, thousand yards and could read it with the ats could not read it uh with the atx which is it's not like that was like a glassing you know a mile or something like that it was uh or two miles it was fairly close like i was very surprised at that result but um man bigger's not better on optics you're gonna get a million different opinions mm -hmm. i really like on a i mean General 10 by 42, you're never going to go wrong with it. I think it's overkill to go higher than that unless you really are always going to pack a tripod and throw that, that those binoculars on that tripod as much as you possibly can. If your elk hunting 12s are completely ridiculous, uh, if you're mule deer hunting, hunting very open country where you're sitting down glass on a tripod a lot, sure, 12s are fine. Um, but then, you know, when you're doing that stock and stuff, 12s are a lot, a lot harder to handhold. Um, I think, uh, on this hunt, um, and my sheep hunt lays out the exact same bears. It's not like you're picking apart, um, you know, massive hillsides looking for an antler sticking out behind a bush. Uh, you can easily get away with the eights cause you're just looking for a big black blob, you know, moping along the hillside sheep hunt the doll sheep hunt same deal just looking for a white dot and then so the binos are less important but having a good spine scope is important um like i wouldn't on a bear hunt you know we obviously got fooled on that little guy um but having a good scope with good resolution to zoom in and get a good assessment of its size uh is pretty critical and then i like having that low power easy to hold binocular with a wide field of view so that you've got like the you know the best chance to spot that animal with that wider field of view. Yeah. I'm, I'm field of view over magnification, um, in almost all instances. And there's, you know, there's like, if you get into the, 
NL peers, for example, you, you really get both. Like the, yeah. the peers at a 10 X have the same field of view as like ELs at eight X, for example. Um, but you know, it, yeah, it, it, to me, the 12, like you said, just don't make a lot of sense for most situations. Um, they're, I, I think they're just a middle ground because guys see things like 15s and like, oh, I could get eights or tens or 15. What if I just get 12s? It's right in the middle. That's great. Um, they have a place. I just don't, it, this guy mentioned very specifically a versatile setup and hunting a lot of different environments. And to me, that's eights or tens for sure. Yeah, so. I do. I, I spent a lot of time, um, you know, I had tens forever and then switched to eights. Um, I started with, um, I had some eight by 32 ELs that I would take like elk hunting and use on a bear hunt, things like that. And then I saw my tens I'd go back to for, for a mule deer hunt or, you know, again, that type of hunt where you're sitting and glassing on a tripod a lot. And, uh, and then I start, I just like the eight so much. I just started bringing them more and more and more. And I do not spot any less game flat out. Like I, I think there's actually an advantage with the eights over the tens. Um, I just don't notice a difference, um, a negative difference in any way. If not, like I said, if anything, it's a slight improvement and just me, but for whatever reason, I like them. Hmm. And I know specifically you tested like on your EL range TAs, you tested eights and tens and really preferred the eights very specifically in that model. Yeah. Yeah. Very much so in that model, like the, the tens, I just wasn't meshing up with my eyes. You know, I was kind of constantly fo- messing with the focus wheel, um, or constantly like adjusting the diopter, like ah, something's not quite right. And I just went to the eights and it was like, yeah, everything's perfect here. His other question there was about the XLR chassis and have we found any downsides to it? And we've had several other questions come through on the chassis, uh, since we mentioned using them. So we will get more into those later, um, partially once we have more experience. Uh, but as we said in that hunt recap, I think for both of us, no plans of hunting without a chassis really again. Um, so everything so far has been fantastic. Um, with that, this was our first hunt with them. Uh, I, we, I think we both each had our chassis for a couple months prior and had done some shooting with them. So, um, everything so far is really, really great, impressive, no plans of changing, no regrets, etc. Um, but just to say, we'll, we'll talk more later with more experience and answer some of the more specific questions we've gotten about those in, in future episodes. So if you guys do have any questions for us, uh, once again, that emails podcast at exomountaingear.com or look for the link in the show description where you can leave us your audio message. Uh, and then don't forget about that before and after listener hunt series. And if you want to let us know about your hunting plans for this year uh, and consider that for that podcast series, be sure to send us an email with those details as well. As always, guys, we appreciate you tuning in. If you haven't yet, hit that subscribe or follow button, and we'll talk to you soon.